Hello and welcome to Everyday Eternal number 101, your favorite, most deceptively named bi-weekly legacy podcast. Today's show is brought to you by our brand new patrons, Micha Heilo and Zachary Ryle. I'm sorry if I butchered both of your names, but I, I actually did practice, so <laughs> it only took me like many years to to correctly pronounce Callum's first name, man. How, yeah, how, 10 years at least and uh, still working on it. Yeah, it's just like it's such an amazing name, um, but <laughs> people struggle more with my last name, but yeah, that's that's pretty straightforward, I guess, in yeah. your case. You you just came back home from work, right? You actually, you sneaked out of work to make it to, to our recording tonight. Yep, yep. Um, pubs have properly opened in, in England this week. We can go inside and um, go into one of my favorite ones with some friends this evening. And uh, yeah, I have just have a very busy week this week and um, lots of beer to be drunk, lots of pubs to go to, lots of things to do. And I'm going to kick off this podcast <laughs> with this sound. There we go. Ah. Did you break yeah. something? No, I opened a beer. If that counts as oh. breaking, yeah, I, bro- I broke the seal of a beer. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's going to be good enough, man. I apparently also broke a lot of seals or mislabeled stuff because I send out all of our podcast charts to people about you and apparently all the European ones were delivered and literally all the, the ones sent to America came back to me and they were like, Julian, like, what are you doing? This is not correctly labeled. Um, even though I actually I went to you the post to office. But uh, if you just put an invoice saying this is a gift, no duty or taxes to pay, you should be fine. I'll help you. But I, I actually, I crossed out the thing or I, I labeled the thing um, that says it's a gift. Like you can label it from the outside, but they sent mm-hmm. it back to me and they were like, yeah, this this actually costs like 55 euros to send to the US and it's going to take two months. And I was like, no way, I, I'm going to send it as a letter. But if you send it as a letter, even though I used like one of those big bubble wrap, whatever things, like those really big ones, they were like, no, you can't send items quote-unquote as a letter if you send items you have to send them as a packet or something and that's gonna be insanely expensive so no, I'm, I'm gonna try i'm gonna try to figure it out um, they know your in tricks. the end it might be cheaper to just fly there and deliver it personally yeah that sounds good get everyone together in one place like uh maybe the 100k that's quite a while away yeah that's coming in october right and for those who don't know um the 40k has been rescheduled to sometime next year right i think it was supposed to come up this summer yes it's it is next year now. I can't remember exactly when, like maybe March or April, I think. I'm not sure. Which I really respect that because, yeah, America is um, doing pretty well on the vaccine front and they're opening things up and stuff. But he seems like um, if there's any risk at all, he doesn't want to be putting anyone at risk, basically. And um, I know people can make their own decisions and stuff. But at the end of the day, organizing events for like hundreds of people is still uh, a bit of a no-no. So I think it was a good decision to postpone. I mean, Definitely, people are still going to get right. to play Legacy eventually. It's it's not. It's just have to wait. I heard from some people that it sucked because they already had booked their flight. But on yeah. the other hand, like, what are you supposed to do, right? Like, I, I see. Like, for me, it would definitely suck if, if I had spent the money and I couldn't mm-hmm. get it back from the airline. On the other hand, that, we're, that's we're just in, like we're in a yeah. pandemic. Like that kind of stuff happens. It's it's not on him really. I think. Yeah, yeah. So I, I'm looking forward to the 100 cat. I, I, I'm really excited. Like I haven't booked a flight yet, uh, but mm-hmm. I, I really want to go there and, and have a great time. Yeah. <laughs> well, what else have you been up to recently? Not so much. I've actually been putting a lot of work on the website. I guess I've been saying that on almost every podcast for the last <laughs> half year now. <laughs> Since episode one, Julian's been working on the website. But no, I, I put in like a couple of all-nighters and... Nice. Uh, it's... It'll pay off. You know the thing when you, you, you always want to like make something a little bit better, add a little bit more of this, a little bit more of that. And then it's like eight in the morning. You're like, oh, I'm supposed to work today and sleep. Like, how, how does that work? <laughs> no, I've got, I've got absolutely no idea what you mean. I'll, I'll do something and I'll be like, yeah, it's done. Cool. <laughs> uh, not, not always. I, I do. I kind of understand. So, yeah, that's that's been going on in my end. What have you been doing other than um, like being a patron at all the various pubs of London? <laughs> Honestly, um, not the most exciting t- one this time. I uh, I just haven't been doing a lot recently. When was our last podcast? Probably a couple of weeks ago. Um, like two or three weeks ago. Yeah, I've got the Warhammer bug pretty hard again. I've just been playing loads of that because we can see friends again. And um, yeah, the game is the game is kind of similar to Magic. It's as complex and you can like build lists and stuff. So it's, it's a kind of similar style. So I've been got that bug back and been doing that. But otherwise... Not not even that much. Like I'm um, just kind of head down working and uh, just existing. <laughs> that sounds so <laughs> awesome, depressing. Man. It's not that bad. <laughs> what are you? What are your hobbies? Existing. Oh yeah, I, I oh. would swipe you right on. Like oh my god. <laughs> Dude, no, you, you see the okay. weirdest stuff on Tinder. Like I don't know, man. It's <laughs> oh yeah. I, sometimes. Oh yeah. And just like that, my phone goes off. 
apparently nice. it's not about the upcoming band restricted list. I hear you've actually got things open because if there's anything to happen... Yes. Um, I'm yeah, on the page okay, cool. and it's, it's saying you are not authorized to access this page as it does for everyone else. Obviously, it says Splinter Twin is unbanned because it always will be unbanned on every BNR. But um, yeah, I'll, I'll keep pressing F5 and if something comes up during the show, then we can report back. Awesome. In speaking of reporting, we received a listener question from Manasumber, um, who's actually one of our new patrons, Zachary. And he's asking about something I've been talking a lot about on not only podcasts, but also my stream and pretty much any place that gives me some kind of voice. <laughs> and that is what I always say about I want to win the tournament. I want to, I want, I'm not content doing like well in five tournaments i want to do really really fucking well in one tournament and i don't care if the other fours are like misses or whatever and he's basically coming from the other side of things and before i i think we we go into the meat of it i'm just going to read out um basically the core part of his question that starts out with um, more of a statement about why he's playing and what he thinks about um all the different approaches to playing magic and why you would play it <clears throat> quoting I rarely register something I consider to be top tier or even on competition for top tier at the time. Whenever I have, I felt like I've not really enjoyed it or felt like at a significant disadvantage. I think philosophically, I want to have a deck advantage of having some kind of unknown cards or angers of attack that can get me some points against top tier decks piloted by top tier players. I know that a quality of mine is enjoying my name appearing with reasonable competitive results of a deck that people don't properly understand. I think that's that's a very very common mindset in, in legacy. What do you think, Adam? I think yeah, that's, I completely agree. Yeah. I was gonna like when you'd finished reading, I was gonna preface it by saying this is a fantastic question. I think he's worded it very well because I bet a lot of people listening to this right now are going, "Ha, huh, yeah, that really resonates with me. I really get that, and it really resonates with me." Um, I think this is some of the differences me and you have. Uh, I I am that kind of player as well. I like to have something different. I like to see my name with something different as well. It kind of ties into the, the enjoyment out of making new decks and brewing and stuff. But not always. Like I, I think I would confidently say this is probably a very large majority of legacy players. So first of all, Zach, you're not alone. This is a pretty common thing to have. Um, breaking it down, people just enjoy different things is the... Is, the angle I'd come at it like uh, a great example of someone not like this is Jarvis Yu. He says he 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 likes some decks more than others, but he gets the most enjoyment out of winning. And he doesn't he enjoys playing uh, Magic in all different ways. At the end of the day, the most enjoyment he gets is from winning at the like once the tournament is finished. So for him, playing something like uh, Delver through all the different iterations over the years, that's going to be his kind of go to. Uh, obviously he plays different decks as well he's known as for lands and stuff but at the end of the day he's going to be taking every advantage you can get to win the the hurdles he jumps over of playing the decks and the matches in between are like just as i said hurdles and at the end he's going to be raising the trophy like he's done at gps with like lands and stuff and i feel like that applies to you as well julian well so, so, so definitely not to the extent of Jarvis. Um, okay. I wasn't even think, thinking about him when we were like thinking about this topic, but you probably picked one of the best players to pick for this because yeah, he's to me he's the embodiment of the competitive spirit and mm -hmm. wanting to give it all. And I think I, I remember I, we talked about this with him like a year or two ago, uh, and like others as well. And we talked about why some of the quote unquote legacy grinders try to also make it in standard and the pro tour and why others don't. Mm -hmm. And he talked about he wants to play at the highest level against the best possible competition. And I think that also really reflects on, on what you just said about, about that mindset. Absolutely. Uh, and then you can, you can take it further. I think this is going to be, I think it'll have a different effect on different players from formats as well. So further, I think a lot of legacy players will resonate with this because legacy is the format where you can do like pretty flashy different things. And it's not as like uh, kind of fast and oppressive as vintage can be. Don't worry, Fantasy fans. I know that it is an incredibly slow and grindy format as well and has a lot of gameplay. But um, Legacy is a casual format for the most part, especially now, sadly to some, um, not so sadly to others. Online at the moment with uh, the world still being the pandemic, like it's been pushed to some of its higher levels of like, competitiveness because people are playing the best decks they can. But at a local game store level, it is still like people playing the decks they find fun. So this is exactly what you're saying you were like, Zach. Um, I will like never play Delver at my local game store. I'll maybe play Miracles if it's like a really 
fun way of doing it like i've played miracles with thought lash and laboratory maniac as a win condition and stuff um yeah so and then you you want like you want to do well with a really offbeat deck and i think that's very common it's why you see people like championing decks um i'm going to pull another example of Reaple cheap um sorry i've forgotten your actual name but um he's been championing the like curses stompy deck for a very long time and look he he says it's got a bad Delver matchup. That's a very bad place to be right now because he's playing lots online and there's loads of Delver online and he struggles with that. But um, it's a thing he likes and it's a thing he really enjoys playing and it does have enough game to put up some solid results. And so he obviously enjoys the the recognition of getting something that's offbeat and with his name on it. And there is, there's probably plenty of other examples as well. And people do just also learn a kind of style of deck they like. And Legacy does reward you for knowing your deck. There is always this counter argument of when you're just very good at the format. Like I would say Jarvis is incredibly good at Legacy and could probably play almost every deck very proficiently. He still knows, like for example, lands or Delver that he has a lot more experience with better than something that he has less experience with. Um, and that's going to be true for everyone just at differing levels. So if you put a lot of work into the one or two like, kind of styles you like, you will definitely pick up points. I also um, think that it's not only a, a matter of playing something offbeat, but mm -hmm. if you pick a deck and you really make a name for yourself with the deck, that's also like pretty rewarding. Um, like yeah. for example, I think the best example that comes to mind is Rich Kelly, right? Rich Kelly is very much known for being one of the best diver players in the world. And people would say, oh, diver is certainly not offbeat. Like, oh yeah, I've, I've seen that deck like plenty of times more than any other deck in the world. But he's got away with the deck and also like the, the way he writes and talks about the deck that his name is very heavily associated with Delva and you don't always need to go out of your way to play Delva. Um, and also it's thinking for, very true. To, to talk about stuff like local metas, which is usually like where you first start, I guess, making a name for yourself and enjoying it, right? That's a cool thing. I also certainly enjoyed it when I played at my LGS, which published like top eight names and lists and I started being there. That's one of the greatest feelings ever, like when you, well, when you well, first start getting recognition. You're known for elves and elves is like currently tier one, one of the best decks as well. But if someone says your name, they're like elves. And yeah, so yeah, that's a very good point. So you, if you want to get a name for yourself, you don't have to play something super offbeat. Um, you just need to, I guess, play a lot, get out there and stuff. Um, the only the only thing I take um, I don't quite agree with in this first opening statement and question he had is the um, I want he says I want to have a deck advantage of having some unknown cards or angles of attack that can get me some points against top tier decks piloted by top tier players. I feel like this is always overblown. I don't think you actually get much as much of a advantage out of these kind of things against the top tier players against someone who doesn't play a lot of legacy or like is playing at a kind of local game store level and is not like keeping up with the, the metagame and new things and stuff yes you will definitely get some advantages and you probably get some advantage against the top tier players too but when you have someone like yourself julian or jarvis or someone who's played legacy for so many years and just knows how cards work together they can use deduction to work things out like we had someone in our um, legacy chat ask us a question which this is a great example because i got completely wrong and i think actually most of us got it wrong but it shows deduction so he said um if your opponent goes once upon a time miss and then no sorry doesn't miss with it once upon a time hits a street wraith cycles the street wraith and then doesn't play a land and passes what kind of deck would you put them on we guessed a bunch of things but by deduction we got to it was probably like a brew with hollow one and um like a kind of madness oh, oh the, kind of the hollow one thing was your thing <laughs> I thought that it was, was my like thing yeah right out there <laughs> but then like some people said it could be manless dredge but they were on the play so you can use all these kind of deductions so my point isn't that i was wrong it ended up being bug shadow which is kind of a cool idea i like the idea of once upon a time in the deck but what i mean is we did get down to a couple of different decks and you can like deduce quite a lot of things so at the end of the day by deduction the good players will work out what kind of cards you have in your deck just by what they've seen so the actual um advantage you gain is is not super high so i wouldn't concentrate on that too much but um by all means do play the uh the kind of different decks if you want to like they're really fun you can be you can do well as well like i mean esper mentor is my most recent kind of deck i've enjoyed and stuff and myself included didn't expect it to be very good when i started playing it and uh, it's, it's okay now it's not putting up great results but it's a deck that's like I would guess tier two and can win events like as as I did. So yeah, um, do what you find fun because if you're enjoying a deck as well, you have the motivation to make a proper sideboard guide. You have the motivation to play it more and playing it more just makes you better with the deck as well. If you're 
playing a deck which is the best deck but you don't really enjoy your motivation is not there your enjoyment of the game is not there and that is a very real thing uh, even for players that just want to win at all costs if they're not if they're not enjoying very much and it becomes too much of a job or a chore unless they're like working on a pro tour kind of style thing then yeah they'll just play less so that's my feeling on that first kind of part of the question yeah, let's actually segue into the more detailed questions that Manus members submitted. And those are, there's basically four questions, but I grouped the first two together because I think they're kind of the same or relate to each other. And the first one is, how do you feel about other players' philosophies? And the second one being, how do you think they might affect the performance of others? So I think you already summed it up pretty well, right? There's there's no right or wrong philosophy as long as you're getting enjoyment out of your hobby. If we, if, if it was your job, then the wrong way to do it would be not to win enough money to make it your job. So, I mean, nobody's really doing that in Legacy, right? Yeah. But the, so in, in the end, enjoyment and fun is what matters. And like you well, mentioned... Kind or, of. Yeah. Just, just to be like, say, like uh, different... Enjoyment is, is what matters for that person that knows that enjoyment matters. You do have to be very honest with yourself. Like by not playing a top-tier deck you aren't giving yourself every single advantage to win. Sometimes you can come up with a uh, a deck which is actually just like a, a metagame killer and actually the best thing, or you, you discover like a really broken archetype or something. When you do that, amazing. That is just like the best high you can get when your deck is actually legit amazing and uh, good. But um, you do have to balance like your expectations with uh, like how far you can push your deck to be as good as possible, but still be in the boundaries of what you find fun and is going to like bring enjoyment to you. And so if that, that boundary is actually quite low and you really want to play super jank stuff, then you need to set your expectations of how much you're going to win quite low. But if your boundaries are, I want to just play like different cards in kind of blue-white X control decks, then your, your boundaries of winning can be pretty high. You're going to win a lot with these things, but you just want to play different win conditions. So adjusting how much you think you're going to win realistically it's going to add to enjoyment of it as well i think i guess you could actually go back to like ancient greece and epicure and all those guys who <laughs> talked about hey what what really matters in life and, and <laughs> yeah. like some of those actually answered well enjoyment and joy is like the biggest thing and, and others were like no 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 that's wrong but and then, yeah. <laughs> and then one came to the center of the pulpit and said casting notion thief in response to a jace brainstorm oh god god get out of here <laughs> and everyone just stands up and applauds and goes yes i agree that is the best thing in life and then case closed i already die inside when they do it in response to uh, fish visionary you can't even imagine how bad <laughs> yeah. it happens in response to brainstorm yeah. but yeah i'm um, going to especially the second part of, of that question um how do you think these different philosophies affect the f performance of the other players and i think one of the major reasons and i guess that's one of those things that many people don't want to hear is that is the fact that people <laughs> i i don't know how to phrase it I, I guess i can just like straight up say it people not trying to give their best on a competitive level is a major major reason why certain players often rise to the top and i think that's more than ever shows at for example legacy gps because if you go into a legacy gp like what percentage of players is really trying their best they can i think there's probably like less uh, let's say if you have a legacy gp 1000 something players you probably have fewer than like 50 players who are really 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 trying to give it their best without any bias towards like certain decks and stuff and maybe 50 is already too high i, I was gonna say i bet the number of players is actually a lot lower than we think and you, you nailed yeah. it. I, I think it's it's actually quite close to that. I wouldn't even count myself among those. Like, you, you're talking to the guy who flew the, to the United States to play the biggest legacy GP ever and registered, like, Heritage Stewart in a meta where you could play Treasure Cruise. <laughs> yeah, because they were playing football and stuff as well, right? It, it was, it was not, <laughs> yeah. not, not beautiful. But yeah. Well, look, what, that, that was your, you didn't go into it, like, thinking I'm 100% trying my best. You went thinking I'm going for a trip to meet friends. And that is the the lowering of your expectations to balance how much enjoyment you get out of it. So I'm sure you said the trip was amazing, even though you didn't win it. It's one of the best trips ever, seriously. Uh, the thing is, like you mentioned, it's a trade-off, right? Uh, barely anyone go, does that, pushing themselves as hard as they can. And going back to like the, the whole fun versus job thing, we don't really have the pressure to do that. Um, I guess if, I, if I'm on Magic Online and I just sold a bunch of tickets and I'm like, oh, I, I really need to like do well now because I want to like build up tickets <laughs> again, then I play like Blue Red Diver. I'm the similar actually. When I, whenever I sell stuff and I have not much, I'm like, oh, I need to uh, yeah play something good to win some back, and then I can go back to me playing like Woe Strider and uh, 
<laughs> with all the stuff. With Rider and Grave Pact is like a pretty sick combo, yeah. by the way. Yeah, but yeah, I so agree. basically, from my side, the answer to all of that is um, the very fact that the vast majority of players is in it with a significant part of their intention is to just have fun and like play what they enjoy is a major reason why a much smaller percentage of players does even more well than they would already because they are playing like a really tacked out deck. Whether they like picked up the deck list from somebody who basically net decked, uh, but also understood the deck or even came up with it themselves. Uh, that's that, that's different things. But overall, yeah, this is how I think those different performances influence each other. And also like what you mentioned, getting the deck advantage by playing something out of left field is like much, much less important than you would actually think. I think I've been on record on previous episodes where I say I usually want like, or not usually, but if I if I think it, it's worth it, I want like a couple of like cards, ideally at instant speed, that help me in certain matchups. But I don't want to switch to like an offbeat deck to to give me that advantage. For example, when I play elves, I think crop rotation very often makes a really big difference, especially against like the, the really tight matchups against really good players, because it's instant and can be quite punishing if you if you basically get to like reset a, uh, a stand on your cradle or something. But I. Like I, like you, I agree that playing something offbeat to get a deck advantage is rarely, rarely, rarely ever really a thing. Um, just because of the nature of the format where Delver is so incredibly impressive. Uh, uh, so, I was almost going to say oppressive. I don't think mm-hmm. it's oppressive, but it's definitely meta-defining and meta-shaping. Like it, it, it shapes everything yeah. we do in the format. There, there, there's some times you could like kind of swing it to a bit of an advantage. Like if you're playing a base blue-red deck and you go like turn one, island, ponder, turn two preordain volcanic island you're just like is this sneak and show this could be it could be ant it could be blue red delver it could be rug delver it could be like blue red omnitel kind of style thing um there there are some things there so if you're playing like a blue red base kind of deck it could be fair or combo um at that point and i think you're at your uh point about instant speed effects actually is very good i never thought of it like that it's really really smart and um, yeah, if you're playing like a instant speed things and pretty off meta, then people won't expect it and they won't play around it. Like, I guess a, a nice example is um, the inclusion of Bone Crusher Giant in kind of blue red ba- based, even non Delver decks uh, recently. Um, a lot of people probably weren't expecting that, and then all of a sudden you're you're facing that card. I don't know what kind of effect it has really, um, how you would play around <laughs> it, but <laughs> maybe that's a bit too rambly. But uh, yeah, you, you do have something to gain if if your crossover is with a lot of other decks. Um, like whenever, for example, if I'm playing a fair deck with like Source of Power Shares and Force of Will, and my opponent just goes like Turn One Island Ponder, I will very rarely ponder on Turn One because I don't know if I need a Force or a Source of Power Shares. So that's like a little advantage you get by being a bit unknown and looking like other decks. Yeah, yeah, that's actually a really good one. That's somewhat based on tactics, right? Like, how do you read what they're about to do? How do, how do you beat that? Something I also think that's really important when considering like playing something offbeat is that even though you play something maybe different maybe weird that's ideally supposed to be good against Delver from the Delver side it's actually almost always the same when you play against these weird decks you you gotta somewhat estimate what they will be capable of doing at which point in the game and then you gotta like line up your resources accordingly that you barely get there before they actually get to do something that's basically always the same but so many times like you you, as you say you play this deck that's meant to be delver and it's a bit offbeat but they're just going to play their delver turn one they're going to daze the removal spell or the spell they care about and they'll wasteland a non-basic and they'll force a will a spell when it's going to be groundbreaking and stuff like their game plan is uh, proactive and fairly linear just reacting to you and getting your life total to zero so yeah, the way they play around different stuff is actually all fairly similar. Like force of will and to an extent force of negation covers so many things, days as well, that they often don't care what kind of nonsense you're up to. It's the same thing to, for them to counter a force of will, which is very uh, counter a show and tell, which is very known to countering a I don't know a grave pat. Like I said just now, it's the same <laughs> shit to them. So. <laughs> So moving on, there's two more questions, but I think we already kind of answered the third one, which is, do you think that such differences in philosophy work well for those individuals or that there's one best way to approach it? Well, I think we've basically said it like yeah, this, five this times now. It totally depends up on what, to you, the player. Like yeah. you choose how you work on it. 
the best way to approach it is the way that makes you happy in the long run. Like yeah. avoiding frustration and being happy, dude. I, I really feel like one of those ancient Greeks now. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, the fourth question, I think that was more like a choke thing. At least that's what it looked like in our Discord. But I think that's actually the most interesting thing is, finally, can you just tell me to stop playing less than the best selection of decks in order to have the highest chance of success? Like I'm not the one who can tell you that. Like you are the one to make that decision if you want to because if you really wanted that you would do it i actually have the best way to tell yourself that um just do it and the moment you like win an event with uh, one of the best decks like winning is really fun um this is going to sound so obvious but the 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 rush you get or the <laughs> enjoyment of winning an event coming first is is fantastic so do it play one of the best decks if you're like once you hit the top eight you're like yes i'm doing it i'm actually you know doing well in an event when you win an event with the best deck you're gonna like you're gonna have to be euphoric over winning the event that's gonna by far trump your feelings of oh i did it with a with a top deck you're gonna just you're just gonna be happy so that is the best way you can tell yourself to stop playing bad decks and play a better one is see how much you enjoy winning an event and go for it so um yeah don't feel bad about playing best deck because winning is really fun it's why we play this game and try to win as well so it's that measure you know what You know what all of these questions reminded me of? They reminded me of one of the best, I thought it was an article, but actually it's a chapter from a book. And it was one of the best things I ever read in my life with regards to anything competitive, like basically competitive gaming. And that is from the book Playing to Win, Becoming a Champion. I mean, that's quite the obnoxious title. (laughs) (laughs) By David Serlin from 2000. So that book's already like quite old. And for those who don't know him, he's pretty well known for his writings on competitive gaming in general, but Street Fighter in particular. But all of what he says does not like only work for Street Fighter. It basically works for the competitive mindset. And I want to quote one of the most important parts from it, because everything we talked about, having fun, winning, whatever, is the most important thing is to be aware of your self-imposed handicaps. Basically, if, you, if, if I was to say, oh, I will only ever play Tribal Decks, That's a handicap I have because tribal decks will not always always be good. But if I'm aware of that, then that's going to minimize my frustration with tribal decks not being good. And if I wasn't aware of that, if I kept like hitting the wall and I was like, oh no, but I need my tree fog deck to do well, but it doesn't, ah, oh, everything sucks, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Then I would become a scrub. Like we often talk about, at least in Germany, we use that word, like basically as a loan word from English, scrub, like this guy's a scrub. And... I've never thought about what that actually means. It just To me, it just like meant a bad player. But actually, the scrap is a mindset. The scrap is a mentality. And I think one of the most important things to not get frustrated in the long run by whichever approach you choose is to be aware not to become a scrap. And let, let me quote from the book. I hope this is not going to give us any copyright infringements. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's not, right? So the scrap mentality is to be so shackled by self-imposed handicaps as to never have any hope of truly being good at a game. You can practice forever, but if you can't get over those common ha- <clears throat> over those common hang-ups, in a sense, you've lost before you even started. You've lost before you even picked which game to play. You aren't playing to win. A scrub would disagree with this, though. They'd say they are trying very hard. The problem is, they are only trying hard within a construct of fic- fictitious rules that prevent them from ever truly competing and i think that's this guy is really good with words not gonna lie like he's really summing up how i feel about when people say oh i want to do it this way i want to do it that way it's like yeah you can but this this is not how the game works like if you only ever want to play your tree fog deck that's fine but then don't come into it expecting to be like the best player in the universe because you you voluntarily chose those handicaps and if that's okay for you and if you're having fun by like doing that that's okay but don't ever fall into the trap of putting handicaps of you on you but not being aware of those because in the long run that's gonna not only make you like super frustrated but possibly even like super toxic to the people around you and that's not who you want to become and i think that's one of the biggest things to take away and to really take in in whichever game you play yeah i agree i i found this it he speaks uh, the truth like it's very very true and i i know that i've been in that situation at some point in the past um six or so years ago i played loads of nick fit in my local game store and i got to the point where i was like you know i'm I'm going three one most weeks you know i think this deck is actually quite good but in hindsight <laughs> i was playing nick fit to three ones in my local game store 
which it was incredibly fun, <laughs> but I was that scrub, I can, I can, I can admit. And um, yeah, but then I started playing like better decks and stuff, and you do start to realize this thing. And I find the wording here quite harsh, but it's still the truth. So you could you could like soften it for yourself a bit. Um, but yeah, I think you've written a note in the show notes, which I think is especially important. You've said the fun-loving spike is aware of those. The scrub is not. The scrub is frustrated because of this. The fun-loving spike is not. So once you like get to a point where you understand that you're playing a deck which is just like really silly and it's completely for fun, you really embrace it and you, you just enjoy playing this nonsense because you don't you don't have these like delusions of grandeur that you're actually breaking the meta with your Nick Fit brew. And sorry, I really love Nick Fit, but it's it's just the easiest target. <laughs> and um, the the p- person that doesn't notice this is the the player that always plateaus, and that's always that was always my like fear of the plateauing player, where they think they've got to a point where they're so good that they don't they don't see themselves improving. They're just like getting unlucky and not winning as much as they should do. That is the worst place you could be as a player. So you do need to level up enough to get to this point where you realize each level of things and how you how far you want to push winning and stuff. It's also quite a liberating feeling once you start playing like the top tier decks. I will never forget like the two times I switched to like a top tier deck. Like the first one was in 2009 when I first started playing survival decks, which were like not the the wrench wine ones, but just like mid-range survival decks. And starting to play with those decks, I always felt like, oh, I'm not good enough for, for this kind of deck. But then again, once you start playing that and you watch other players who you think are good enough, you also realize, hey, they're actually like making stupid mistakes that I was not making. Like it's, it really gives you a feeling of growth once you start playing super strong decks. And yeah. I think when uh, Manasimil like wrote that he feels at a disadvantage from playing those. I mean, I guess part of the feeling could come from the fact that you're not getting this factor of, of playing the weird deck and then you think you're getting an advantage out of that but i think in the grand scheme of things we already talked about that right you mm-hmm. you are giving yourself a competitive advantage by playing those top tier decks for sure i think you would also be surprised by how often you do enjoy these competitive decks um yes for for me my like my things were i guess miracles with top and shardless i played a lot of both of those when they were very good however long ago and um they were they were like my first proper good decks i played and stuff and um I think Esper Stoneblade after it won GP Detroit Denver as well. I picked that up. That was my first like very good legacy deck. I think. Funny to think Esper Stoneblade, huh? <laughs> and um, <laughs> and more recently, I uh, what's it called? Um, Underworld Breach is is also another very good oh, one yeah. that I played a bit recently. And Luris decks, but other than that, like yeah, I I didn't ever pick up like the best broken deck for quite a while in, for the years in between that. Like Grixis Delva was horrifically broken when it had Probe and Deathrite Shaman, and for some reason was like, I I feel like if if Deathrite Shaman and Probe were legal and like that old Grixis Delva deck was legal now during this like pandemic and stuff, it would be like forty fifty percent of the meta game in all the events. So um, yeah yeah. Y- but I think, like I said, as the beginning of the sentence, like you'll be surprised by how much you enjoy them. My point of this was, I loved Miracles and I loved Shardless, and Breach is one of my most favorite decks I've ever played in my life. I don't really enjoy playing Delver, so I don't play it very much because only because I played it actually a, scrub, a lot. Man. I'm a scrub. <laughs> I, it, it is. It is. I completely acknowledge that I am hindering myself by not playing Delver very much. Um, I played it so so much when I was like a bunch of years ago that uh, I, I don't know. I also play it quite badly. I think honestly so that's that's your point where other people play it badly as well so maybe i just don't play it as badly as the as the medium players but this is where i i adjusted my thing so at the moment if i was if i was playing to win it probably should be with delver or elves i think and i enjoy elves so i would probably play elves in a big tournament if it was coming up tomorrow but uh if elves wasn't an option for whatever reason then i don't, I just don't know if i'd play delver and i completely acknowledge that i'd be hindering myself there but I am the scrub in this situation. I am hindering myself, and it's on me, and it's up to me to adjust my expectations of the, the event. That's the most important point, right? I, I was going to say, like, adjusting your expectations, that's that's the one that's going to avoid frustration because that's the thing that really kills you in the long yeah. run. Because at the end of it, if you do really well, you're satisfied with, this, with, the, with the result, of course, because you did well, and especially because you didn't succumb to playing something you didn't enjoy. If you do badly, well, look, it, it's on you. It's fine to blame yourself for these things, and, and it's fine to go into a thing thinking, this is on me if it goes wrong, and it does, and that's fine. You accept it before you even before it even happens to you. So um, it's it's not really a bad thing, I think. 
Awesome, man. So, I think here we kind of want to move on. There, there have been two cards lately in Legacy, especially this month, that have been everywhere, right? And if, if you've been playing Legacy lately, I think you already know which two cards we've been talking about. I guess the second one hasn't fully established itself yet, but it's, it's about to. But those two cards are Expressive Iteration and Abundant Harvest. And why don't we start off with Expressive Iteration? For those of you who don't know, I think we've talked about the card before, but uh, quick uh, rules text. It's a sorcery, a blue and a red. Look at the top three cards of your library, put one of them into your hand, put one of them on the bottom of your library, and exile one of them. You may play the exile card this turn. So basically, this is kind of like, uh, which card looks at the top three? Like uh, an impulse, impulse for three? kind of, yeah. Yeah, but, yeah, but you get uh, to basically keep anticipate. two of them, one of them just for a turn. Yeah. So it's this card has caused a lot of devotion. Like a lot of people think it's completely cracked and broken. A lot of people think it's like, just too slow and clunky. Um, I am being the really boring opinion of like, it's somewhere in the middle. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I, th- I think it's very good. I don't think it's like broken or insane. Like, I mean, it, it's it's like a two mana draw two, um, which you need to kind of work for and play on the right turns. Which that is still really good for legacy standards. Um, like I say this every single time we're like reviewing a blue card, but pitching to force, especially when it's a card that is slow and clunky in some in some matchups or some board states, is a huge huge plus for a deck like Delver. So, Actually, that's that's a really good point. I never thought about this way because you know sometimes when you play Delver, you know that you're not winning the long game, even if you have expressive iteration. You, yeah. You, not only like strategically, but from the point in the game right now where you are, you know, even if I get a two for one here and there, this is not how I'm gonna win. And then you're much happier to pitch like the grindy cards. Yeah. Then to pitch, for example, a Delver or um, what's the flying thing, a Sprite Dragon. Yeah. Well, this is just like the the flexibility it gives you in in terms of force things. Like you have the very aggressive draws and you have the very grindy draws, and because you're playing the cards for both, uh, you do have the options available to you. And then you just pitch whichever one. Um, it's kind of like basic gameplay, I guess. But I think it is a, a really nice positive to the card. Like, if can you imagine if this card was red and colorless, it'd be significantly worse than the deck. I think it wouldn't even play it, actually. Uh, so, red and colorless. I think people would actually start playing that maybe even like in Stumpy Shells or something. <laughs> but yeah, that's not your point, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, I think it's really good. Um, so, I'm people are still working at how many to play. Um, I have a feeling it's two or three. I've seen some really cool ideas. So, Lewis CBR, I don't know if it was him completely first, but he started messing around with Mistress Bauble in the deck. I think that's really cool because Bauble is already quite good with some other cards in the deck. So, it's a, it's a counter for Sprite Dragon. It has some synergy with Delver, like you can look at the top card if you have a fetch and play before you reveal a card to Delver, so you can get some extra value from it like that. It's just good with fetch lands because you can see if it's a card you want. Um, Delver is a, is a deck where the, the delayed draw is quite punishing, um, but the trade-off seems worth it because it's a card... So if you have baubles in your deck, you can maybe like turn one ponder, leave a, uh, a bauble on top of the deck and then expressive iteration so you look at the top three cards put one into your hand one on the bottom and the XL one that you can play is the bauble so you do draw two on turn two and stuff so you're saying you can basically like store the draw but have, not having to pay for it yet so you're exactly. going to have it on a future turn because a lot of the problem that people had with the card originally was it's it's a draw two for two which is playable in Delver but you you can't play it on turn two which is obviously a downside, but Bauble kind of fixes that, and and it's it's always a card which is like kind of almost there. Maybe for like triggered young pyromancer as well, it'd be even better. But yeah, it, it's a cool it's a cool um, experiment, and especially if you put it into rug, so you have Tarmogoyf as well. Um, being an artifact is a pretty big deal, so you can very quickly get a Tarmogoyf to like a four, five, five, six, and stuff. So Interesting. Like two, yeah. two things um, that I want to um, touch on is you mentioned you think it's going to be like a two-off or something. Recently, the trend went towards like playing as, as a three-off and then a lot of people started playing it as a four-off, either in blue-red diver or even rock diver. You already mentioned Lewis. He had a thread on, on Reddit, I think, a couple of weeks ago where he talked about how it's not only good in blue-red but also in rock diver, uh, which is the second thing I want to talk about because rock diver, unlike blue-red diver, can make much better use of the extra mana, right? Because the green is giving it so much grind advantage and, of course, uh, what, what's everybody's favorite titan? Euro, Euro, that's the one. Mm-hmm. And I initially didn't think too highly of the card in Rock Diver, but with Rock Diver really becoming much more like a, a tap-out deck, like he also mentioned in the thread, I think Rock Diver has m- just like so much better 
value to get in the mid game and even the late game with Uro. Like I've, I've been on the receiving end of Uro when I've played like other Dava decks and I've had like, dude, I almost want to just like scoop when Uro comes into play. Yeah, for the you, you, you have to just like get lucky and waste that in the mount in that state, in that sense. And when you're like trading these resources, like bolting Pyroblast and the Delvers and the Dragons and and wastelanding each other, then expressive iteration becomes like a kind of a, a deal breaker when you're just getting two cards off it. Yeah, I almost want to move as far as, as calling it like a treasure cruise. <laughs> it's, I know that's that's <laughs> way too far. Yeah, um, but, but I see what you, I see what you mean. Like card advantage in Delver is very powerful, as we've seen with like Dreadhorde. Of course, this is no Dreadhorde anywhere near, but like just one raw card in Delver is very powerful. Yeah, and if you're playing like the Diver Mirror and one of the pl- uh, players has like four expressive iterations and the other one maybe got none, that that's going to make a pretty big deal because once you become aware of that, uh, you notice that you can just like play the passive game and being able to play the passive game with Delva against another Delva deck, that's just like so relaxing that, that you know, okay, in the long run, I'm going to get there unless you get your really broken draw. And I mean, between Delva and uh, between Days and Lightning Bolts, you, you have many ways to stop those broken draws. Mm, absolutely. Something interesting um, that I also noticed because I wasn't receiving on of that, and one of the challenges lately was underwater bimbo. He or they, I guess, um, played blue red diver with four copies of expressive iteration for like a couple of challenges now, and did really well with them. I think got like a top three and won one of them, and got a couple more top thirty twos. And the interesting part is no wasteland, and I think that's actually quite smart this like i I never really liked delver without wasteland but when you think about it it's not that important to at least this kind of deck because the way they are playing is they play four monastery swift spear which encourages even more of a tap out kind of gameplay three chain lightnings which is rather uncommon in the more like wasteland focused delver decks three preordain which is usually also like one more than they usually play four explosive iterations which is two more than so basically what i'm trying to say is they play a ton of tap out stuff Mm -hmm. and also like two fi- fiery fury eyelets that, that's basically yeah. like the horizon cannot be for blue red so the way you play here is you just like put your stuff to the board and you see whether you get there and then you have like these dazes and fossil first that you're going to use here and there but it's not something that's as integral to the classic dava game plan of wasteland days you dava get there you just like throw everything to the table and then you reload and then you reload and that reminds me so much of treasure cruise and actually correct me I think the Treasure Cruise decks did still play Wasteland. I think Maybe it was they... one or two. Yeah, because, yeah. I mean, it, it feeds the Treasure Cruise, but it's not that important. It's, mm-hmm. it's usually like just better to cast another cantrip and yeah. have one more mana available to the get to the Treasure is, Cruise. The funny thing is, Wasteland is often really awkward in straight Blue Red Delver um, because it doesn't. Ca- the only threat it casts is Young Pyromancer. So this this idea of like a, a tap-out Blue Red Delver thing without Wasteland is not new. It's been around for a like, It's been an idea for a while and it's been different iterations. But explosive iteration is a fant- it's an incredible uh, addition to the deck, and Sprite Dragon was also incredible in the deck. Like Sprite Dragon is crazy good. So um, this deck, like I even I remember playing years ago, like uh, when Theme of the Ice came out, I was trying Blue Red Delver, but without um, Wastelands and the Swift Spears and stuff. And uh, this now this deck looks like sleek. It's 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 counter burn, but it's incredibly fast. The iteration adds some card advantage. Um, you have all the disruption like usual, like Force of Wheels and Dazes and stuff. Um, it has two Brazen Borrowers for like some counterplay against, I guess, Dark Depths and stuff. Like the Wasteland is going to hurt you in some matchups and stuff. But um, I don't know, this deck looks ferociously powerful. Like it must be so fast. I'm sure it kills in turn three sometimes, but often turn four. Yeah, it's very high up on my list of decks I want to pl- try next. And it's interesting you mentioned that you are going to suffer from a disadvantage from not having Wasteland against certain decks. For example, like Lands, right? When you mm-hmm. really want to take out like a couple of Lands that, you re- that, that are annoying you, that are annoying you. But if you look at the sideboard, there's actually two Price of Progress, which then again is going to give you a lot of game against those decks or 12 posts or anything that would rely very heavily on non-basic lands. So I think that's that's something they were actually aware of and mm-hmm. are trying to fix here. Or maybe, you know, they just had like two Price of Progress and they're like, oh, let's play this. You know? I just, <laughs> I was... love Price of Progress. I hate Burn. I love, love, love Price of Progress. It is such a brutal card and it's so good in Delver. Um, like even though they have the four Volks and stuff, they have what, two islands, one mountain? Yeah. I mean, this is the kind of card, especially from a comp from the sideboard, is not it's not being played in Delver for quite a while. This is the kind of card that's just going to absolutely get people and win you games. You have no business winning. Um, 
like lands really struggles to play around it lands used to have to um land the only way lands ever beat it in the past is with the glacial chasm i think they don't even play that anymore so they need yeah, to like rare. quickly combo or something i could see this deck actually playing like a couple of cyborg wastelands if uh something like um dark depths got more popular and stuff or you could just play more brazen borrows i suppose but anyway yeah i love the deck it's it's great yeah i mean you can even I, I did that recently i even posted about it on twitter i i think i raised a brazen um dark depth thingy on turn three with just like a giant sprite dragon that oh, attacked yeah, twice and that. got there and i jumped up in between <laughs> but that was hilarious i loved it <laughs> okay you need to you need to make a 21 21 or above sprite dragon to just block <laughs> so it doesn't even die <laughs> Dude, I've, I've sometimes thought about that. When, when I had like a 12 traps Sprite Dragon, like a couple of cantrips, you think like, you know, maybe, but yeah, you, you, that's something that never really happens. <laughs> dream bigger, dream bigger. Oh, they just died too I fast. Should. That's true. So, and speaking of um, Wasteland, not being the most popular card in the format anymore, but still like one of the core elements of Legacy, there's another card that has started to see a lot more play lately. And... That, I guess, is part of why I'm not too fond of Wasteland right now. And that is Abundant Harvest. It's a sorcery, one green. Choose land or non-land. And then you basically, you reveal cards from the top of your library until you either reveal a land or a non-land and the rest goes to the bottom of your library. I thought, I initially thought the cards go to the graveyard, which would have made this card absolutely insane. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. (laughs) But unfortunately, I guess fortunately it doesn't. It's it's, it's a one-mana Balustrade spy. Julian, please. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> oh my god you're right <laughs> yeah i shouldn't be working for wizards man. <laughs> uh, so anyway yeah i think a lot of people actually missed this card initially because it was one of those mystical archives or something which is mm-hmm. i still don't get it it's not part of the set right it's not like a standard card but it's still like in boosters is that how the, it works this card is it, it this card's going to be in modern horizons 2 um as like a non-promo and they just kind of released early because they were doing this Mystical Archives, which is a collection of cards. It's more an excuse to put these cards onto Magic Arena, I believe. And so, yeah, it's on it's on Arena. And they just kind of gave us a preview ahead of time, which I don't think they've done before, but it's quite cool. So how do you actually get it on Magic Online right now? In chests, I think. Oh, chests and chests? Okay. Uh, yeah, I think so, yeah. Okay. Cool. Oh, no, no, sorry, sorry. So- it's, it's, in, it's in Strixhaven as well. So you get one of these kind of cards in every single booster in Strixhaven. Oh, I got it. Got it. Yeah. So, so you have some like you. I've played against Lightning Bolt and Source of Plowshares in drafts multiple times now. It's, it's kind of cool, actually. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dude, I, I remember when like the original Sandika came out, and Wizards used to have like all those super oh, powerful power nine first there, printing. Right? Yeah, Power Nine. Even like people would open a Sandika booster, and they had Black Lotus in it. <laughs> So but yeah, cool. that was like 11 years ago or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> these days we get a bunt and Tyrus. And actually, the card is quite good, right? I really like, like it. Yeah. These kinds of effects never really saw play in Legacy mm-hmm. uh, in the past. I, I, at least I can't really remember one that, that used to be good. But yeah. Anorak has been pushing this card. Like, especially he has been pushing this card very heavily on, on his Twitter. And I'm kind of starting to, to see it. I, I was... Know, it, I was really skeptical. I was like, it seems good. The card is powerful. Um, it's a really powerful effect. But I, I and like everyone else was like, yeah, but how is this better than playing Preordain? And then when he kind of said, Callum you're, and everyone else, you're looking at the wrong way around. This is not a Preordain. This is a land. And then I was like, huh, what do you mean? It's like, you don't pitch lands to Forcible. This was the argument, like Preordain being blue, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, oh, I see what you mean. So yes, you do have to like play it as a land very often. But being a land that, automatically becomes a non-land in the late game is incredibly powerful and so he really sold me there when i thought about it a bit longer yeah that that's basically the the key to understanding the card right you're not playing it over preordain you're playing it over a land and at least to me the way i can make sense of that is if i considered a comes into play tap land right because you are paying one to get this extra land in, in case you don't have it so you, you, what would initially be an untapped land for example okay let, let let's give a very basic example your, it's your first turn you have a forest it's your second turn you don't have an extra land you draw abundant harvest so you cast abundant harvest you name land you get a land you put into play now you, you have two lands but only one of them is untapped whereas if abundant harvest was a land then you just play it and you have two untapped lands on the second turn so this is basically mm-hmm. the trade-off if you play it as it, a it, land it's, on it's, top it's, of it's also Zer- occupying like one of your initial mana source slots yeah, it's, it's the Xerox theory, right? So you're playing Ponders and Preordains and some Brainstorm to a certain extent over lands. This is why we've seen the number of lands played in Legacy decks, in Fair Blue Legacy decks especially, just go down and down. Um, 
but yeah this is just a new way of thinking about it like i will completely hands up admit that i was comparing it to, to cantrips at first but yeah this is we need to like go back to the roots of what xerox theory is about which is replacing lands with filtering and and velocity really yeah, the interesting thing is how low can we actually go on our initial mana sources, I think. Because if we look at the history of legacy deck building, the consensus has always been we need 14 initial mana sources. That has been like the case in Elves for a long time until we went to 13 with London Mulligan. In basically all the Delver decks for almost 15 years, it has been 14. It has been 14 everywhere. Uh, control and mid-range decks usually play a little bit more, but... Basically, with this card and this new way of thinking about it, we are pushing the boundaries. And I wonder, mm-hmm. like, I, I, you have more experience playing decks like this than I do, but can you, like, go down to 14 initial mana sources? Maybe. I believe Anarag's, like, core thing now is 19 with three Abundant Harvest. This is what he's playing in the decks. But keep in mind, this is decks playing Uro. So Uro is a card that wants you to have lands and is a super late-game card. So when you're playing 19 lands in, like, a, a control deck with a very, very strong late-game and your, your win condition costs three, then four mana and is quite color intensive that's saying a lot it feels it feels low to me until this card like came out and anorak started pushing it and other people started doing well with it i've been actually myself just kind of doing a bit of a curveball on on this style of thinking where people like saying how many lands can i cat can i cut to play more cantrips i've been going the opposite as cards get more powerful i don't want to be spending the early turns cantripping for lands i want to hit them naturally every single time so experimental has 20 lands oh. like I could just play one or two preordains over two of the lands, but I think the cost of not naturally hitting your first few land drops is is higher the more powerful the format gets. This is super interesting. We just talked about Sandika. Have you played Sandika Draft with Landfall and stuff? Yes, yeah. You played like 20 or more lands. Yeah, you. Well, I guess not 20, 20 in Draft 20, or something. But uh, 20 is very high for Draft, yeah. Yeah, 20 is insane. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, I remember back then that the theory was that you, most people said, in question rather play more lands even though like the format was super aggressive mm-hmm. and one of the most aggressive missing out time. on a land yeah. drop was in, like there was a really big problem and on top of that you also you got a little bit of a reward from landfall as well so why do you think usually when like formats are aggressive you can sometimes like cut a land because aggressive usually also means like everything is cheaper mm-hmm. but in this case it went the same direction you just described people were playing more lands because missing out on a land drop was such a big deal and you really wanted to hit your land drops early on. Yeah. So, yeah, that, I think that reminded it, me of that. So, yeah, I guess this might coil back to... I, I stand by that idea. Um, I, I think it's a little bit against the grain, and I'm not 100% sure on it. But at the moment, it depends on what, what kind of control deck. I think when you have cards like Uro, they do catch you up pretty fast. So you can afford to take a bit more of a risk. The Abundant Harvest is... A, is like it really cuts down on the amount of risk you're taking because you're guaranteeing yourself a land, which is a big advantage to it. Like I've seen some kind of meme posts on Twitter and stuff about like someone, I think it's Anarag as well. Actually, he played Abundant Harvest and he named land and went past like ten non lands before hitting a land. And he's just like, yeah, tell me how preordains better. And uh, I think Jeff Pokemoki also put a thing by like saying, I'm going to run the numbers for you. And it's oh, like, I saw that one. That and was like. Hilarious preordained to hit a land was whatever percentage which is a high percentage and abundant harvest is just 100 percent. so it, it is it is really good um and i also like that it opens up some things for like it's a it is like a cantrip and it's not blue i wonder if like we get more of these things and you can play non-blue like cantrip xerox style based decks it is interesting thing is i guess if we did that in non-blue decks the, the first thing that comes to mind is once upon a time that you would probably play over this uh, mm-hmm. Just because like non-blue but greens usually like pretty creature heavy. There's there's like, I almost can't imagine any other decks. I guess there's it's... yeah like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sure. I'm blanking. I'm trying to to make like green post like a green deck, but that's uh... yeah. So so to get the effect as well, you need a lot of redundancy in the actual cards in your deck. I guess like a uh, post for example has a lot of setup cards, then a few payoffs. So you're not actually reliably getting a lot out of the naming on land because you can name on land and hit like a crop rotation or an expedition map. But um, would you think you'd play ever play this in elves or is the space is probably too tight? No, I'm no. I'm never gonna play this. Like you mentioned, elves needs like if you play you have a low like land this, count already as well. Yeah, and you you need like very specific stuff. Like if I do this and I hit like Quarian Ranger, and it's like yeah. yeah, okay, cool, whatever. <laughs> but this this is the kind of card I would just instant play four of in Jund mid range if if the deck was okay. 
Or That's like... a big if. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. But, it, but it's an example, right? Like if there was a yeah. green-based thing, I don't see... Yeah, I think it gets better in a fair decks where you, as I said, you have this redundancy in cards. So if your deck is made up of threats and answers, pretty simply, um, then you can play this kind of thing because... Yes, you want one over the other in certain different spots, but like cantrips are doing a similar thing already. When you ponder, you're you're looking for either a threat or an answer, or sometimes and stuff. But when you have um, too many like cogs coming together to create a sum of its parts, this kind of card gets a bit worse because you know this is also another cog, and mm. you can cast it to find another cog. When in reality, you just want the the end cog. Big it's cog. interesting. <laughs> it's interesting when you describe it like that because then it's. In that way, it's actually much more similar to Ponder, where you often like try to find something more specific as opposed to Preordain, which is just supposed to give you like better average draws. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think it is close to Preordain. Uh, yeah, something I was thinking about actually with like this trend of like playing this as a at least the way I think about it comes into play tapped land is how how far can these like mid-range and control decks actually push themselves to having these kinds of effects because like we mentioned there is a trade-off right that you 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 have to cast this you you don't get to mm-hmm. play your land and play a two mana spell on turn two and i think wasteland also keeps it very honest like you can't go yeah, but the, that's that's true that's true but also like these decks at least the way i see them build is they heavily heavily rely on basic lands like whenever i play against them they, they play like two or three duels maximum in the entire list and the rest is all basic lands yeah so i guess you mean like the the bant kind of uro things yeah pretty much yeah yeah i've seen it sometimes with like red or black like four color versions of it but band is mm-hmm. usually always the core and i see them doing decently well against Delver, at least like the traditional Delver lists with wastelands and stuff and i think that's what's going on here whenever you play like control against the Delver deck is always you soak up the damage from the Delver and whatever they have and eventually you have enough removal spells and you overcome them now we have two more things going on in legacy right now there's explosive activation we talked about which is going to give you a little bit more staying power in those Delver decks and the second one being that dreaded arcanist isn't a thing anymore so previously we talked about how these decks had trouble playing the traditional game plan against Dava where you soak up damage and then you eventually you push back and you get there because dreaded arcanist created card advantage and card advantage can can't be undone by swords to plowshares i guess that's that's the core element of it and now we've gone back to like more of a trade-off between life totals and bot position as opposed to card advantage and that's why they make this kind of stuff work more but what i think about at this point is how do you punish that how do you push back against that and the way you push back against it is to establish something in the first two turns that is not damage based but something that's structurally oppressive i like to say and that's like such a big word i guess (laughs) but for example in elf's case i always say when i play against control decks once the second turn for both players have passed has passed i want to be ahead in the game which usually means ahead on the board in some way but that doesn't mean seven elves in play because then you get terminus and then it's over i want to be in a position where i untap and i cast glimpse of nature for example and they're like fuck you know they're, they're like i want to counter this but i know if i do this then they're gonna replay elfish visionary twice and it's gonna suck too like, yeah i know is, that feeling is... very well <laughs> yeah <laughs> like you've been on both both sides yeah, of that. yeah and i think that's something that you want to do in order to push back against this kind of deck if you want to do that, do that in the first place right i'm just yeah. like exploring the scenario where this deck becomes like dominant and you want to do something about it and that is doing something in the first two turns that makes them go eh. to, pl- to, to play off to play off that point and actually to tie your point in with something i just said just now about raising land counts the more powerful the format gets i used to always side out a, a land against elves because they don't threaten your mana at all like you can and very often you can like side out a basic if you have like two of the same one that's not necessary, like necessary to play your removal and stuff. But I've I've stopped doing that recently because um, with the introduction of um, Shepherd and stuff, and just as the deck gets more powerful and stuff, more additions, I felt like as yeah as the power level goes up, I just can't afford to ever miss a land drop. I need to be playing removal spells and or discard spells on turn one and two. I need to be interacting. I can't be just cantripping. I can't be like turn two. I can't be playing. You can kind of, but you're really punished for just pondering for a source of power shares and casting on turn two. You really want to be like thought seizing and source of power shares or something. You need to be interacting at every level in the first few turns. And so to do that, you can't be pondering for a land because you're using a mana 
on these pivotal first few turns, like you say, where you want to be putting your opponent under pressure. And if you're already cantripping to find things just to play the game, you're under even more pressure. That's actually interesting that, that you mentioned that because I certainly noticed that too, right? Whenever I play against these kinds of decks and I notice them um, missing a land drop on a second or third turn, I guess I guess everybody's happy when the opponent misses the second land drop. But against these kinds of decks especially because this is this is the board position I want to get to. I, w- I want to have something that really makes them super uncomfortable, especially if they then have to tap out for, you know, their abandoned harvest or one of the best things that can happen to you is when they tap out on the third turn for Uro and don't put a land into play because mm-hmm. then you feel like, oh my God, I have absolutely free reign, especially if I have uh, an Alosaro ship at the my hand and i think this is something you can really really push them back on if, if you do that like for example i have just described many different ways chalice is one of those ways even though it's i mean it's better than it used to be but it's like certainly not not a great card right now but also stuff like you know goblins which is i guess weird but if you get a goblin lucky and while they have to abandon harvest on the first turn like dude you are going to put a second Goblin Lucky into play. I know I've been there, but... <laughs> <laughs> but you you get the idea, right? It doesn't necessarily need to be Goblins, but something that pays you off in a way that is not damaged in the first couple of turns because mm-hmm. those decks are pretty good at negating damage in the Definitely. long run. Definitely. And I guess Uro is part of that. <laughs> yeah, it is a funny feeling because Uro is like such a powerful card, obviously. But um, when I'm playing a lot of decks and they just Uro on turn three, I'm generally like pretty happy. I'm like, well, yeah, there's an Uro in my sights. So I need to deal with it when I get to that point. But it could be so many other things. It could be an Oko. <laughs> Wait, no. Let's not talk about that guy. Actually, Oko is, is, is Oko actually getting a creature? I thought Oko was getting Maybe. a creature in the next set. Uh, there's there's a Mario spoiler that says there's a, a legend which like has a banned card or something. I can't quite remember exactly, but I saw Justin Gennari like, say it boils down to Oko, Ren and six or just ren and uh turak which would be my guess i think i'm, I'm excited yeah, i, I, I want to see what's going to be. be pretty sweet someone like jokingly said it's going to be like blue and a black for a 2-2 flying the etb is your opponent discards to at random <laughs> how broken would what? that be <laughs> <laughs> don't worry it's a joke it's, it's not real yeah oh, because because then you be. then you have a, a hymn you can caracas back to your hand <laughs> yeah let's do that can, can you cast it in instant speed that would be of it of course yeah <laughs> only, only, you can only cast it in your main phase or your opponent's draw step <laughs> it's actually gonna help you out it's, yeah, it's, it's gonna tell you it's oh, telling this you how you're to, play. Supposed to play this card. <laughs> yeah. it, it's what we call child protection in German <laughs> <laughs> it's like you can't accidentally do it wrong yeah yeah awesome you, you don't do it in the upkeep when they have one card in hand by mistake because magic online stops are weird Oh, don't get me started on Magic Online. So many restarted games on Magic Online these days. They, oh, they are having some yeah. issues with Seven Library, Doomsday, and yeah. I, uh, I mean, it's eventually going to be fixed, I guess. It just takes like a couple of high-end events where this happens, and, and results are going to be like, maybe we should look into it. Maybe. But anyway, um, you are off to the pub now, right? Yes, I have to, sorry. So our, our show lengths are always like, we set to do about an hour, and they're always two to two and a half hours. But this time... Well, we've never done two and a half hours, dude. No, I'm sure we've done... <laughs> don't do that much editing. We've done some mega ones. But okay, fine. But uh, yeah, this time I am, uh, I'm going to finish my beer that I'm having here to go to the pub and have some more. Sorry oh, this is how you do it? <laughs> yeah. I like it. That's flavorful. Awesome. <laughs> so if, if you want to support our habit of going to the pub, actually, I haven't been to a pub in like a year. Last time I went to a pub was the Irish pub in, in Prague. Oh my God, that was amazing. I, I, wanna do I that love again. Prague. Oh my god. Oh, yeah, I can't, I can't wait, wait for wait the next legacy God, yeah. <laughs> so if you want to support what we're doing, uh, especially the podcast, you can do that, for example, on Apple Podcasts, leaving a review there. By the way, also the reviews are going to be published on our website. That is going to come out, I promise, at some point. And also by supporting us on Patreon. If you go to patreon.com slash everydayeternal, you can join our cooking, eating, drinking, sometimes legacy playing community on Discord. Have a good time there. Uh, submit your questions or just hang out with us. So, And by the way, also like <laughs> support the running of maybe your favorite podcast, maybe not your favorite podcast, or us. <laughs> it's, it's up to you. So yeah, but in the end, the most important thing is just like let your friends know about the podcast. Let your enemies know about the podcast if, <laughs> if you really like them, maybe. If you, if you want to like, you know, re- reconcile with them, <laughs> that, that's a way to do it. But this this is us, yeah. If you if you want to follow us on social media, by the way, at EternalMTG on Twitter. And there's actually going to be a, an Instagram soon. I guess I should, but like before I release the episode, I should actually secure the name before anybody else like, gets it. And we're like, hey, this is like $5,000 for the Instagram account. 
That's their no. thing. People used to do I, that with domains. I've I don't I think I have an Instagram account which I tried to like set up to look at Warhammers and then it's like linked to my email address. So I had friends from like my music life and friends from Magic and friends from Warhammer and friends from here and there, like all following. I'm like, ah, I don't know what's going on. I don't know how to work this thing. So I'm a bit of a boomer when it comes to social media. I have a Twitter, which I never remember the name of, <laughs> and I have a Twitch, which I never remember the name of, and that's this is the it. best way. It's like, guys, <laughs> if you want to find me, just hit up Julian. He's gonna get you. The, like, exactly. The right yeah. uh, <laughs> I'll remember and one day. If you want to find me at it's Julian twenty three on Twitter and it's Julian on Twitch. Uh, website is gonna be everyday minus eternal dot com. Is that how they say it, or is it everyday like hyphen eternal dot com? Either like neither of those sounds good. And to find me, you can uh, hit up Julian, just DM him on Twitter or whatever, and he'll tell you the address. Or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you, everyone. Also, thank you to our Patreons who are making this work, especially our higher-tier Patreons on Eternal Witness tier, Tommy Hinks, Trent Browers, Testacula, Sebastian Holager, Guillaume, Jake, and Severin Schwarzhuber, and our top-tier Grizzlebrand supporters, Victor Benatzt, Patchy Butt, Scott Monroe, Jeremy Gates, Henry Kokutz, Tom Hepp, Christopher Reinhardt, and Paragon Games from St. Louis. A lot of you have actually sent me pictures, or at least posted in the Discord pictures of you wearing the Everyday Tunnel Shirt, looking really, really slick, and can't wait to send out more as soon as I figure out how to get stuff into the United States. <laughs> <laughs> have a good time, everyone. See you again uh, by the end of the month, I guess, and let us know how your Delva adventures are going. Are you playing Wasteland, or are you just going straight to the face? Bye-bye. Ciao.